Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear saints, today is the most joyful day of all history. Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus happens to be not a part of the Christian life, but it is the very foundation of it, the very object and content of our faith. What happened this day, this weekend, when the Lord gave his life and took it back up again. The fact that Jesus died and rose is the only thing that gives true absolute and actual meaning and purpose to this life. Sadly, many think that Easter is an addendum or a footnote to life or Christianity, as if we could still be Christians whether or not Easter is true, as if Christianity is just primarily a set of moral principles or guidelines for life. In fact, I've heard people speak this way. I've heard people say, Look, even if we found the bones of Jesus tomorrow, I'd still be a Christian. I wouldn't be. (laughs) And you shouldn't be either. Because the entire faith is based on this event. St. Paul himself says, If Christ were not raised from the dead, then we are to be pitied amongst all men. So that the resurrection of Christ is the chief doctrine of Christianity. Everything depends upon it. If we lose this, then we lose it all. There is no point in being a Christian. It all falls apart. Now, this is how St. Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15. I can't preach on the entire chapter. You heard a very small part of it there. Uh, However, I want to just go through Paul's main argument in all of this. And then four things that he says afterward. His argument is this. Jesus lives, and since Jesus lives, then everything he said is true. And he does this by pointing to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, this is remarkable, because Paul doesn't make an emotional appeal. Uh, he, he simply appoints them, points them to objective facts. Everybody saw him die on the cross. His lifeless, empty, mutilated body was just hanging there. They saw Jesus taken down from the cross. They saw his dead body placed into a brand new tomb and a massive rock shut it and then sealed that tomb. And then they saw two soldiers, some of the most well-trained and armed people of the time, Roman soldiers guarding that tomb. And yet everyone saw that the tomb was empty. Even the enemies of Christ, those who opposed him. Even before the seal was broken and the stone was rolled away, it was already empty. And not only was the tomb empty, but Jesus appeared to his own disciples who were afraid and skeptical of his resurrection. And then everyone, uh, everyone saw those disciples who were skeptical convert when they saw Jesus with their own eyes. And then everyone saw those skeptical disciples endure torturous and horrifying deaths. Because they affirmed this truth, they asserted this. And everyone knew that over 500 people saw Jesus after his resurrection at the same time. And Paul simply pointed everyone to those facts and says, go check it out yourself. Go see it yourself. Go to the tomb and see that the bones are not there, that the body is gone. And talk to one of those 500 people and those disciples who gave their lives for this. And you will see that this is objective evidence and facts. 
Uh, the resurrection is foundational, and it is the bedrock of Christianity. And God has embedded it into history. In fact, a few years ago, a Christian apologist uh, by the name of Dr. William Lane Craig, he debated a man at the University of Irvine, California. And the guy he was debating had his doctoral dissertation on the historical events of Easter morning. And he noted, uh, this guy uh, noted that all of the things that I just told you, he noted that all of them and admitted that they were all historically accurate, reliable, and true. And he said that no one could deny that Jesus existed. No one could deny that he died. No one could deny that the tomb was guarded. No one could deny that the tomb was empty. No one could deny that the 500 people saw him. In fact, there's evidence for all of this and that the skeptical disciples changed their minds and from skeptics uh, who were doubting to martyrs. So he was thoroughly familiar with all of the historical evidence and then he admitted that it's all historically accurate and true. And yet, he did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So, what did he do? He came up with an alternate explanation for what happened. And he went through a couple of explanations and all of those fell uh, flat and fell apart. And and then he came up with this one. And this is the best argument he, he came up with. He argued that Jesus must have had an unknown twin brother who who was separated from him at birth, who showed up in Jerusalem at the time Jesus was crucified. He managed to steal the body from the tomb on his own. He presented himself to the disciples and then convinced everybody that he was the twin brother Jesus who had actually died. That was the best argument he had. The best explanation after taking all of the facts at face value, that is the best he could come up with. Now, what I'm getting at is this, is that the evidence for the resurrection of Christ from the dead is formidable. It is deeply powerful when you look at it. It has baffled billions of skeptics throughout all time and in all places. The resurrection of Jesus isn't just something that you believe in in your heart as if your faith makes it true, as if you just wish it to be true, then it's true. You can't say, oh, well, look, I don't get any of this stuff that you're talking about, Pastor, but it doesn't matter because Jesus lives in my heart. That's the main thing. Or whether it's true or not, I'll just believe it anyway. No, Jesus doesn't just live and rise in our hearts today. There is powerful historical evidence that a man named Jesus was killed and that his tomb is empty and that there is no explanation for it. And that the best explanation is that he actually did what he said, which is that he rose from the dead. If you want to reject the clear and plain and obvious conclusion of this evidence, and somehow come up with some sort of explanation for all of it and say that Jesus didn't resurrect, you are free to do that. But just know that in order to do that, you will have to be inconsistent and jump through hoops and perform comical mental gymnastics to just find a way to come up with some sort of explanation. I'm not naive. And I think and I know that most of you are here today because you do believe 
that Jesus did in fact rise bodily from the dead. And for that, God be praised. Let this text and this sermon and Sunday be a strengthening of your faith and your conviction and a consolation to you even when dying. But if you're hearing this and reject the resurrection of Jesus or have denied it for some reason, then I will say that you're doing it for one of two reasons. I'm not trying to offend you this Easter day, but I'm fully aware that that may just happen. The first reason that you may deny it is because you are simply ignorant of the evidence. It's simply that you have not looked into this as seriously as you ought. There are literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books and podcasts and videos and presentations throughout all time on this subject so that you can delve into this topic a thousand times more than I'm able to here in this sermon. Nothing is hidden or secret about it. You can see it yourself. You can go look and and see. You can travel there and see it for yourself. And if it's true, which it is, then it is the most important thing in the world. So it is worth your time to look it up and study this thoroughly. Now, the second reason you may uh, deny the resurrection is because you do know all of the evidence. And you do know how formidable it is, the historicity and objective nature of it. But you are willfully side-skirting the proof and being inconsistent. Because if you did accept the resurrection of Jesus, then that would mean that your life would have to change. In other words, if everything the Bible says about Jesus is true, then that means everything it says about you is true. And that would mean that you would have to admit that you are indeed a sinner and that you would have to be required to forsake some pattern of life that you have engaged in, abandon your sinful ways. And that would mean that you ought to come to church not only on Christmas and Easter, but every single week. And you'd have to live your life according to the word of God, which is something that you may not want to do. If this is you, if you simply don't take the evidence seriously or you don't take the conclusion seriously, then I beg you this day to reconsider. For the sake of your soul, reconsider what you are doing. Open up your ears and take this word to heart. The pleasures of this life are fool's gold. They are worthless and transitory and they will fade. They don't bring true happiness. Ignoring the truth won't solve the problem. Staying busy and distracting yourself won't fix the fact that one day you will stop walking and stop thinking and stop breathing, and that your heart, in fact, will stop beating. You cannot ignore sin and guilt and death, and so I beg you to reconsider. And if you do, if you reconsider, if you were to repent, if you were to admit that this is true and confess your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then you would not be alone. You would not be the only one to do this, to forsake your former way of life. 
You would join a long train of people who were just like you. You would join thou- uh, the, the, the millions who have abandoned their willful ignorance and impenitence. And you join the long list of examples of whom St. Paul himself, who wrote these words today, is the greatest. He knew all the facts of the resurrection, but denied it because he didn't want to give up his anger, his hatred of Christians, his hatred against the Lord and his murderous ways. And yet, when he was converted... The Lord received him joyfully. By the grace of God, he received him into his kingdom. And he forgave and covered all of his sins, which were greater than any of yours. But if you don't reconsider, then I have to tell you that you will have the risen Lord not for you, but against you. If you trample the blood of Christ and reject his forgiveness, then he will not force himself upon you. If you want nothing to do with him in this life, then he will not force you to be with him in the life to come. If you don't look for his forgiveness today, then don't look for it on the last day. He will not force you into his kingdom, so seek the Lord while he may be found. Okay, that is the first part of the sermon. (laughs) This is Paul's main argument, that Jesus lives. But then Paul goes on to say, but what if Jesus doesn't live? What if he is dead? What if this is all a lie? And then this is what the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 uh, says. So he lists four consequences if there was no Easter, if this is not true. So I'm going to go through these quickly. The first is this, that our preaching is in vain, he says. That is the first point. In other words, if Christ is not risen, then we are liars. Paul doesn't care if people think he's a a liar or not, or they slander him. That's not the point. The point is that a a lie like this about the resurrection of Jesus would make absolutely no sense. Uh, because why lie? Why do people lie? People lie all the time, that's true, but people lie in order to accrue something, to benefit from it. For people lie for their own advantage, but why lie about this? What did Paul get for preaching the gospel? A better life? It didn't bring him any benefit, only detriment. It made life more difficult for him. He got beatings and trials and hunger and suffering and loss of friends and mockery, betrayal and ultimately torture and death. And what does he say? I rejoice in my sufferings. Does it make sense to you that Paul would preach what he knows to be an empty, vain lie that would make his life worse? And not just him, but also all the prophets and apostles and martyrs and old pastors Look at how people were tortured and martyred and still are for the preaching of the resurrection of Christ. What is the point of lying about this? Second, if Christ is not raised, this is the second point, then that means your faith is in vain. As a result of the empty preaching, then your faith is also empty. And everything you believe about the Christian life is not only a lie, but it is a terrible waste of time. Every moment you've spent in church, around other Christians, hearing the words, singing, all of this is absolute nonsense, worthless. It's a waste of time. And the comfort and joy that you get from the gospel is a delusion. It is not true. Third, If Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. 
Paul isn't saying, look, if Christ is alive, then you won't commit sin. But since, uh, but if Christ is dead, then you'll keep committing sins. No, old people commit sins. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying this. You are still in your sins, and that means you're still in the repercussions of your sins and the guilt of them. It means this, simply put, that there is nothing that can be done about your sin and guilt. That your past and your history, your mistakes, your failures, your guilt, your regrets, your troubles are always going to haunt you. And there will be no conclusion or good ending to any of it. Not just your life, but everyone's life for the entire world. There will be no justice. There will be no righteousness at the end. It is all for nothing. No consolation. You must pay for your sins. That's the third point. Now, the fourth point is this. If Christ is not raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, Paul says, have perished. Perish here doesn't mean die. To perish means to suffer the wrath of God and to go to hell. It means that your loved ones who have died with faith in Christ have perished. It means you will never see them again. That there is no good remaining. That means that their difficult lives were only the beginning of suffering. Things didn't work out for them in the end. And that means if Christ is not raised, he, they, nothing will work out for you either. No matter how difficult life is now, it will get worse. <clears throat> If Jesus is not who he says he is and didn't do what he did, then not just this service and this Sunday in Christianity, but this entire life is vain and meaningless. Every second of joy and happiness and sadness and thought and desire and love and hope and dreams and your own family and children, all of it is utterly meaningless. Your life does not matter. Your body doesn't matter. Life and death doesn't matter. It's like just another moment in the day. Death is all we have to look forward to. And this is dark, dark stuff. It is gut-wrenching. If you actually, if, if you, the weight of these words set in your heart, this is gut-wrenching stuff. This, this is stuff you cannot come back from. If you take this seriously, the, the thought alone that life is that meaningless is nauseating. In fact, people who have believed this have ended their own lives because of this. Because they have actually believed this. They believed it to be true that life had no meaning. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then we're in a worse position. Now, <clears throat> Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, but as it is, Christ has been raised. And what that means is that those four consequences are not true. That the exact opposite is true. Because the tomb is empty and Jesus has been raised... Our preaching is not in vain. What the prophets and apostles preach from their dying lips is true. And that means what you hear today is true. And it is life-changing. 
And that means you can rely upon the word you hear and you can put your trust in it and confidence and you can depend upon it even when dying. The preaching of Christ crucified and risen is the doctrine that gets you into heaven. That is the thing your faith clings to and that saves you. And it means that the Lord is indeed on your side, that he loves you, that he will never forsake you, and he will receive you into his kingdom, that it is all full and true. And that means the second thing is that your faith is not empty or vain. What's going into your ears and your heart right now has an eternal benefit. You are not wasting your time. Every second you've spent in church, no matter how uh, 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 meaningless you might have thought or felt that it was, every moment, every hymn, every word, every time, time you receive the Lord's Supper, not one of it, not one time was useless or vain. And that means your prayers and your hope and your joy is not in vain. And that means that your faith will not be put to shame. God will not embarrass you on the, on the last day. The third point is that this means that you're not in your sins. Is that Christ atoned for you. His life and death was perfect. He paid your debt in full, not a drop of his blood Not a drop of your blood is required of you. And because of that, your sins are gone and erased from the mind of God and you're forgiven. It means that all of your regrets and past sins, your entire life will have a good end. And finally, fourth, this means that those who have fallen asleep, who have fallen asleep in Christ, have not perished but they have eternal life. So your believing mother has not perished and your husband whom you sorely miss has not perished. Your faithful wife who has died has not perished. Your dear children who were taken away from you too early have not perished. Your dear brother or sister has not perished. Your dearest friends whom you communed with and loved have not perished. Our dear brother Isri Persaud, who died in August last year, has not perished. He is with Christ, the Lord who lives. And so are all of those who died. And yes, it's true that they've died, but Christ also died, and he lives. And since he lives, they live. And finally, if this is true for you, for them, then it is true for you. That when your last hour comes, when the Lord determines that your days are full, no matter when that may be, when your heart and your soul and your body and your mind and your lungs and everything in you fails, when indeed all medicine and technology and surgery and intervention fail you, Christ will not fail you. This word will not fail you or let you down. His word is true. And just as he is raised from the dead, he will raise you. Just as his grave is empty, Yours will be too. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.